In fact, a lot of people used to go to Redfern 20 years ago to score some drugs. Today, you would go to Redfern to go to world-class restaurants, to even go to some of the highest tech-paying jobs in Australia. Welcome to the Urban Property Investor. I'm your host, Sam Saggers, here to help you crack the code of real estate wealth. Today on the show, we're going to crack some codes. I tell you what, we're going to delve into something I'm super passionate about, the idea of gentrification. The idea that a suburb can transform in a short period of time that a suburb during your 10 or 15 or 20 years of holding it goes from a ugly duckling to a beautiful swan that an area can transform underneath your ownership eyes tell you what when i first discovered gentrification it blew my mind i made money so quickly but here's the most important thing suburbs which i've invested in which are gentrification neighborhoods have had a consistently high level of capital growth. In other words, they're suburbs which tend to double in value a lot faster than other neighborhoods. Gentrification is one of the most misunderstood ideas in property investment. So today, we're going to unpack it. We're going to learn it and we're going to absolutely walk away from this podcast understanding how gentrification unfolds the signals you need to look for to find the recipe, which is gentrification. Now, to understand gentrification, I think before we go into the real science of it, probably a good idea if you're not actually au fait with what it even means to think about some areas in your neighbourhood which have actually gentrified. So, I'm from Sydney. Let's play the Sydney game. For me... A great example of gentrification leading to property success in Sydney is the suburb Redfern. 20 years ago, if you walked through Redfern, the likelihood of you getting punched in the face was pretty high. In fact, a lot of people used to go to Redfern 20 years ago to score some drugs. That was the only reason you went to Redfern, to grab a hit. Today you would go to Redfern to go to world-class restaurants, to go to great bars, to even go to some of the highest tech-paying jobs in Australia. So how have we gone from a suburb which you literally went to to score drugs to a suburb today where some of the Ivy League knowledge workers now go to work at? Well... Gentrification, of course, is the answer. And I think if you think of an, perhaps a suburb which was the real worst suburb in a city you're from, today think of the value proposition of that suburb. Is it still shit? Or is it actually transformed? And was that transformation led by gentrification? 
See, gentrification is an art form. It really is a science. And some suburbs are not gentrifying. Getting a new Coles or a new Thai food shop at your local set of strip shops is not gentrification. It runs deeper than that. And today I want to give you some insights into how it works because I've studied it for so long. In fact, I sometimes even lecture upon urban transformation. I'm not the only one. There are some great studies that you can get your hands on by the University of Queensland. In fact, gentrification today is a hot word in real estate. In fact, if you look at how often it is Googled, it is doubled in the last 10 years just how often people have Googled gentrification and property. People want the answer and people want to understand it because it actually leads to capital growth. So how do we understand gentrification? Well, let's go through some things. I tell you what, where we need to start is big picture. Australia has a business plan. It has taken around 227 years for Australia to reach the milestone of 25 million people. Melbourne is now a 5 million person city. Sydney is a 5 million person city. These cities will end up in just three decades time, eight or nine million person cities. Other big places in Australia will have the same process or the same consequence. Brisbane's going to end up massive, Perth. So all of a sudden we can, we can picture that if we're trying to fulfil a quota, if we're actually trying to put eight million people into Melbourne, where do they all live? What does that actually mean? Well, what it really means is we have to transform urban areas. See, Australia has a bit of a quota. And when you want to understand real estate, this is a really good little tip. Australia has a quota which is 60% recycling of suburbs. So areas actually need to be renovated for the future population of Australia. That renovation can mean getting rid of old buildings, transforming warehouses or industrial areas into residential areas. So 60% of all new population needs to go into existing suburbs. 40% of new population needs to go into suburbs which have not yet existed as residential areas. Those suburbs are greenfield. They are cow paddocks. And that's commonly where you see urban sprawl, where you see the idea that we go further and further and further out. And we generally do that by opening up greenfield land estates where people build brand new homes. Gentrification is really a phenomena which occurs in inner and middle rings of cities. Remember, there are three rings which make up big cities. The inner ring, which is the urban area, where it's very common you get apartments. The middle ring, which is quite often affluent suburbia, big houses, rich 
dudes. And of course, the outer ring, which is an endless sprawl of land, usually for cities. So when it comes to gentrification, the idea is we need to recycle what we have. We need to renovate it, make it better, more appealing. And of course, will that appeal lead to better capital growth? Now, here's a value bomb. This is why I really invest in gentrification neighborhoods. A property market is a cycle. And for the most part in a property cycle, real estate is not going up in value. Real estate is a cyclical dynamic and that cycle takes a long time to unfold. Property cycles don't double in seven years. In fact, don't let people bullshit you over that one. That is the biggest myth of property of all time. For property to double in seven years, capital growth has to be absolutely insane. Property generally doubles around a 13-year period. But we can beat that. And why I like gentrification is it is what we call a secular real estate market, a secular phenomenon, a secular or independent trend. In other words, it doesn't really matter if Sydney's going up in value or Melbourne's going up in value because gentrification suburbs actually have their own cycle. They are actually completely independent of the broader marketplace. They are transforming at a different rate and pace to the broader economic cycle. So one of the reasons I really love them for property investment is they tend to have their own growth pattern. They are being transformed by new shops, new streets, new infrastructure, new people, new amenity, new transport. And because this is all coming to a certain pocket, it is actually a completely different set of transformation which generally is occurring for the broader city. So hotspots are gentrification areas. And one of the big discoveries for me in real estate ownership is just how much capital growth you consistently get from owning real estate in suburbs which are going through a transformation cycle. So how does a real estate market transform? Well, it's a big question. Like I alluded to, Redfern 20 years ago, I mean, you went there for a hit. Today, you go there to spend $500 in a fancy pub where yuppies hang out and drink the Kool-Aid, right? So transformation is a process and it doesn't happen overnight. And I think this is where a lot of property investors get a little bit stuck. They buy the idea that transformation is going to make them wealthy, but they don't go the distance of the stages of transformation. Now, again, I've lectured on this a lot. This is stuff which the greatest professors of urbanity have spent years studying, right? How does gentrification unfold? Well, here's the thing. 
you've all seen the property market cycle. At the top, you've got boom. The bottom, you've got uh, obviously bottom. You know, as the market goes around on that clock, you've got value areas, you've got hot areas, and you've got areas of slowdown and contraction. Well, what if I was to tell you a suburb which is being impacted by gentrification has its own clock? And it goes very different to a property market's clock. It has eight stages or it has eight numbers. Number one is what we call grassroots change. Number two is planning. Grassroots change really is the idea that residents are a bit sick of the neighbourhood feeling crap, that the neighbourhood is actually better than what the public realm offers. The neighbourhood is a good locality but run down. Local people start to go, you know what, we've had enough. We are going to change. They do this by starting to plan, starting to think about, should we add more parks to the neighbourhood? Should we bring better infrastructure into the suburb? Should we allow better transit to make the suburb more mobile, more accessible for residents? We then see the gentrification clock tick over. And that ticks to the third phase, which is pioneering development. This is where you often see the idea that older homes will be transformed into newer homes, renovations start to happen, the renovators come in and start to make old terraces absolutely beautiful again. You see this rebirth of activity. Eventually, you start to see intensive investment, a population shift, which is the fifth part of the clock. And eventually, that population shift actually creates displacement of original people from that neighbourhood who can't afford the rent anymore, who have to leave the suburb because the suburb is no longer cheap. The suburb is now a hotspot. Full transformation eventually occurs with the final part of the clock known as turbo gentrification. The turbo gentrification part of the puzzle is the upper class moves in, buys up the real estate and values start to become extremely expensive. Now, you know I teach this. I'm all over teaching the 4X growth plan. I want to tell you how gentrification fits in the 4X growth plan. If you're not familiar with the 4X growth plan, you've got to go back some podcasts and listen to the 4X growth plan because it's the greatest plan in real estate. Grant Cardone has the 10X plan. I have the Australian watered-down version, the 4X plan. Four times capital growth. You make money out of real estate four different ways. The first way is you can add value. You can renovate, subdivide, knock down, rebuild. You can get a discount. You can amalgamate, subdivide, develop. You are adding value. The second way you can make money 
location, location, location. Now, gentrification is a location growth strategy, okay? It is about buying property, which means you're buying real estate in a suburb or a locality which is going to transform. Too many property investors get this one wrong, right? They buy a property, they do a renovation, they make some instant money, but they forget to do it in a location which is going to transform. So they do a renovation in a sleepy place which has no future elements of growth, okay? So Forex growth plan, we're going to add some value. We're going to buy in a good location and there are five location identifiers I teach. Not going to get into them all. Today we're identifying one, which is the idea of urban change economics around gentrification. The third way a market can grow is market growth. And market growth basically means everyone's a winner. Market growth means everyone's a loser. Right now, it's coronavirus. The Sydney market, where I'm from, is dipping in value. Everyone's a loser. A market growth dynamic. It can swing around in roundabouts. When Sydney goes up, everyone's a winner. The final piece of the puzzle is what we call behavioural economic growth. That is the idea that a certain property is influenced by a behaviour which human beings love. Behaviour could be the idea that your property is really mobile. In other words, it's got good access to transport. Or a behaviour could be your property is full of great design which influences people's ability to live in the property. It could be a behaviour of wellness. In other words, your suburb or your property offers a lot of well-being. So all of a sudden, people pay more for it, okay? So we got 4X growth plan. The idea I'm talking about today of gentrification is your second X. It is a location growth strategy. Now, I think this is where most people get the idea of gentrification completely wrong. They end up buying a property in a neighbourhood and, of course, they make some money by adding value doing the first X strategy. Now they're in the second X strategy. They've just renovated. Now they're in the second X strategy and they realise they now own real estate in a suburb which has no transformational opportunity. In fact... The word gentry is the word comes from the idea of people change. This is where most people don't understand gentrification. Gentrification is not about property. It is about people. It is the idea that a person of higher social status will come into a neighborhood and buy there. In fact, the meaning is a person of higher status, gentry, the gentry. So I'm just going to have a sip of water. The gentry is a person, right, of higher social status. So what are we looking for 
when it comes to the idea of gentrification and de- demographics. Let me, let me read something to you. The idea of gentrification is to find an area where local aspirational residents go through a period of restoration that actually leads to lower income people leaving and a new demographic entering the marketplace, the gentry. The gentry is what gentrification is all about. So think about the gentry. What does the gentry want? This is a higher income bracket. We're trying to attract people with more money to a neighborhood because that will lift the neighborhood's value. So to do that, we have to think about what kind of suburbs wealthier people want to associate with. So when we're doing the renovation or we're trying to add value or we're trying to get a discount in stage one of the 4X growth plan, we then need to associate the fact that the suburb we're buying in needs to be identified as potentially an area which is going to be hot to the gentry, right? Does the gentry really want to live 55 kilometers from the city? I don't think so. I don't think that's where the gentry see themselves. So where do the gentry see themselves? Well, there is a bit of a cycle and you can say that when it comes to understanding transformation in urbanity, there are some ways to consider it, right? So think about this. The working middle class actually gets displaced by the hipsters. The hipsters are those dudes with cool beards and, you know, they wear, you know, you know, cruisy clothes and, you know, they're pretty cool and, and, and uh, you know, happening, right? We all know the hipster. Here's the thing. People want to be the hipster. So this is what really happens, right? The hipsters buy in an area. Then the IT professional who's more loaded than the hipster goes, I want to be like the hipster. So they buy where the hipsters are renting. All of a sudden you see the transformation. The IT professional is not cool, right? He's not a cool dude. The hipster's the cool dude. He's brought the money with him. And you often see this in a dumbed-down version of like cool coffee shops and bars and all of a sudden rich people are like, wow, you know, I want to go hang out where that cool dude is. Eventually, even the IT professionals, which are a high-income earner, start to even get replaced. They get replaced by the lawyers and the bankers and the establishment. The establishment starts to rocket in these suburbs and eventually those suburbs become absolutely expensive if you go to redfern today sydney's example you'll find it's full of ivy league old money it's full of the establishment money now barristers lawyers these guys that and girls that need to live close to the city and want a bit of edge in their life they've still got the hipsters the hipsters are still living there they're renting there but you see this kind of society form around this dialogue of interesting culture. So all of a sudden, you've got this absolutely amazing transformation. Remember, gentrification goes back to a theory 
in property economics known as the broken window theory. The idea that we as property investors, if we want to use gentrification, need to look at a suburb which is not established. It's not where the gentry is. It's got broken windows. It's got graffiti. It's got litter. If you walk down the street there late at night, you're probably going to get bashed, right? These are the suburbs that the transformation is occurring. You just need to weigh up using the gentrification property clock as to what time it is in that cycle. Is it really early that you are betting on a longer form transformation or is it a little bit later in the gentrification cycle where the last of the graffiti has been washed off the wall and all of a sudden you're starting to see the transformation of people and by virtue of transformation of people, you're seeing these new desire lines unfold. Now, if you don't understand what a desire line is, a desire line is, in its easiest format, a pathway. Human beings have been creating their own pathways ever since we uh, cracked the code of Adam and Eve. In other words, society will form its own views on how it feels about a neighborhood. A desire line is just the direct route to an area. And of course, the broken window theory works typically in middle or inner ring neighborhoods. In fact, there's some interesting reports which have come out that show that the greatest transformation which is occurring in gentrification is now inner and middle ring neighborhoods where you're actually seeing the urban shift. Now, I want to touch on this bit because anyone who's perhaps my age has already seen urban transformation. We've already seen gentrification. So if we've seen gentrification has it gone or is it drifting to another neighborhood? Well, this is where we need to understand there are two waves of gentrification. Now, if we were to understand Redfern, for example, Redfern has gone through its first wave of gentrification and is now entering its second wave. The first wave of gentrification was we looked at that suburb, we saw it was full of urban decay, it was run down, it was beat up, it was a drug den. Then all of a sudden, the first wave came. The terrace homes that uh, really dominate the suburb all of a sudden got bought by the gentry, renovated, and today they're multi-million dollar properties. They were bought for 300000 and today, 20 years later, renovated with substantial money, mind you. They are now not $300,000 properties. With their $700,000 renovation, they are now $3 million properties. So 
does that mean it's the end of the road for that suburb because it's gentrified? Well, this is where the second wave of gentrification begins. And this is the idea that all of a sudden these very popular neighbourhoods have to bring a level of density into them. And of course, that density generally happens through the idea of the construction of new apartments. So all of a sudden, you're seeing that suburbs, which were tightly held and transformed, are now going through a re-energizing through the apartment space. And of course, the apartment market can bring with it new people, new money, new transformation of gentry, new shops, because of the mixed-use dynamic of the apartment sector. So quite often, if you're investing in a suburb today following inner urban gentrification, you may have missed the boat when it comes to buying the cheap terrace house and turning it into a multi-million dollar property. For the most part, a lot of urban gentrification which is occurring in inner ring localities, in other words, suburbs maybe one to 10 kilometers from the city, for many property investors who want to spend $500,000, they're now looking at that second wave of gentrification, which is absolutely cool. Now, the real money to be made from gentrification occurs at the final stage. This is known as turbo gentrification. Turbo gentrification occurs when an influx of affluent residents alter and significantly change a place, whereby that value proposition of that place is now not associated with the working class, but absolutely the wealthy class. Now, for me, I think the best example in economics of Australian real estate is probably Balmain, Sydney. The Balmain Tigers, if you don't know them, the famous rugby league team, of course, was built off battlers. Balmain was a working-class neighbourhood, and you can tell it's a working-class neighbourhood because it's full of pubs and at the point in time when Balmain was full of warehouses, light industrial ports, the working class man, he had to have a schooner and a lager and, uh, and get on the gas after work and go down to those cool pubs. Today, those pubs are not full of working class people, they're full of affluent people, the transformation of place. And turbo gentrification really does lead on to another concept, which I'm going to do a, another podcast on, but I will touch on it today. That once a suburb goes through this identity change, it actually transforms from a suburb to a place. A suburb to a place. What do I mean by that? Well, there are around 300-odd suburbs in Sydney, but there are only perhaps around 20 places. 
A place neighborhood is a suburb where people identify something that is interesting as part of place. Now, where I live in Sydney is a suburb. My nearest place neighborhood is Manly Beach. Everyone knows Manly Beach. It's a sociable place. It's got great transport. It's got an awesome image. It's cool. It's gentrified. It's got lots of uses. It's got businesses there. It's got shops there. It's got restaurants there. It's got a beach there. It's got ferries. It's got snorkeling. It's got surfing. It's got everything. It is a turbo gentrified suburb. Sydney's most gentrified suburb under place economics is Bondi Beach. Today, you can buy a Bondi burger, get a Bondi haircut. You can buy, buy, you can watch Bondi Rescue. See, suburbs become their own brand. And when a suburb goes through this gentrification journey, it ends up a brand name. When it ends up a brand name, you know it's turbo-gentrified. It is a place for the wealthy. Your job as a property investor is to find a suburb which is going to end up a place. Redfern is now a place. People go there for things to do, for restaurants, for bars. People buy there because it's a place. 20 years ago, it was a place to get away from. Today, it is a place to go to. Remember, the odds of a suburb which has no meaning for people to go to, to go through gentrification, is probably not going to happen. In other words, people go there because they sleep there, they have a home there, then they leave there because there is no real meaning to be there. Place economic neighbourhoods work on the basis that more people want to be there because they are the brand. Because they are the brand, their value proposition is huge. Brands, brand suburbs, Bondi, Sydney, Fitzroy, Melbourne, Tenerife, Brisbane. These are brand name suburbs where if you own real estate there, and you've bought it 10 years ago, you're probably pretty pleased. If you bought it 20 years ago, you're retired. If you're buying in these neighbourhoods today, in 20 years you will be retired. Why? Because the transformation will occur. If you're buying in a suburb which will end up a place, you give yourself time, you're going to end up wealthy off those suburbs. I'm buying in gentrification neighbourhoods. I want the Bondi effect, the wealth effect of wealthy gentry moving into a neighbourhood, moving into an area and making it so expensive that really most people can't afford to live there. Why do I want that? Because I'm a property investor. I want to see my real estate double, triple, quadruple in value. Who is going to do it? The gentry are going to do it for me. There are some great livable neighborhoods in real estate. And 
you can start to see property markets transform. For example, in 2015, Footscray, Melbourne was ranked 74th in Melbourne's 307 suburbs. It was lowly ranked, lowly ranked. Today, it is ranked sixth most livable. The sixth most livable. You're starting to see gentrification unfold in that neighbourhood. It is climbing its brand ranking. All of a sudden, that suburb is a gentrification hotspot. It is a suburb which is going through this shift. And it's the shift which is where the money is. Now, Footscray is still shit. You drive through Footscray, there's broken windows, there's thuggery, there's drugs. If you want to hit, go to Footscray, you'll find a meth lab. If you want to graffiti something, if you're a graffiti artist and you want to tag, man, get down to Footscray, write some shit on the wall because it is still that marketplace. But that, my friends, is the opportunity. The opportunity is starting to unfold. It is a broken window marketplace, but it is identified as livable. It is starting to transform. The transformation, of course, is making the gentry move to the neighbourhood. Why does Footscray work? Because Footscray is like 6Ks to the CBD of Melbourne. It's close. It's got good transport. The gentry like mobility. The gentry like to be walkable, they like light transport, they like the tram, they like quick train stops, they like using the ferry. The gentry are all about living local. They don't want to get in a car and drive an hour and a half to get home. They don't want to live where their brand image is not strong. Remember, we live in a digital world. People's digital footprint is big in life. How you look on Instagram, what you do on Facebook, what coffee you post this morning. For the gentry, this is really important. They do want to be associated with where the vibe, where the hipsters, where the action is. The basic human need of certainty is absolutely critical understanding why the gentry move to gentrify a neighborhood. When we look at the idea of transformation, it is massive. The idea that an area can be transformed by health, education, innovation, and of course, what is going on? Culture, restaurants, bars, hanging out. Here's the misnomer of coronavirus. A lot of people will say that culture is dead, that we are now going to go and live far away from everyone as hermits and stay home all the time. Here's the real truth. People love community. They love hanging out. They don't want to live in their own home and never come out. They want to 
Go out and be part of restaurants and cafes and culture and build a society and transform the world. In fact, most things which are beautiful about life occur in gentrifying neighbourhoods. If you want an awesome pizza you've never tried before, guarantee you it's in a gentrifying neighbourhood. If you want to try a boutique beer handcrafted by an artisan, it's going to be in a gentrifying neighbourhood. If you want to try roasted coffee, the best coffee that anyone's ever tried, I guarantee you it's in a gentrifying neighbourhood. So, coronavirus is here. Potentially there's a cure. Apparently Putin's got the cure. He's going to inject everyone. We're all going to be injected by Russians to, uh, to, be, to be corona-free. And eventually people will crawl back out and I guarantee you they're missing people right now. Community is big and gentrifying neighbourhoods are about brand, they're about mobility, they're about community, they're about image they are about certainty. They are about looking good, feeling good, but also living well so that you don't have to spend all your time driving out to an area which serves no real life purpose. The cool thing about gentrifying suburbs is they really are hotspots. Today, if you are a property investor, Think about the idea of the 4X growth plan. Charge on to doing some great add value things, which is the first part of the X. But don't forget location, location, location. I say this all the time about real estate. You can do what you want to real estate. You can add value to it. You can subdivide it. You can develop it. This is what you can never change about real estate. It, it's low Location. Gentrification is a location strategy. Hey, I hope you've enjoyed the show today. I've certainly enjoyed bringing it to you. The real estate world is beautiful. So are you. Thanks for listening and I will catch you soon. Thanks for tuning in to the Urban Property Investor. To never miss an episode, make sure you subscribe to the podcast on your favorite app or on YouTube. I would love it. If you could give the show a rating and share it with your friends and family. In between episodes, you can always keep in touch with me by connecting on social media over Facebook, Instagram, or LinkedIn. Until we meet again on the next episode of the Urban Property Investor, take care and bye for now.